0: Well, hello. This is Deacon Mark from Corpus Christi Catholic Parish in Tucson. And this is a bit of an experiment. The idea came from Corpus Christi community member Paul Sayer, And if you like the idea, thank Paul. If you don't know Paul, get to know Paul. He's a good guy. Here's the idea. We want to provide our community, you guys, with some easy-to-access, easy-to-digest background and context for the scripture selections we share at each Sunday's Mass. The hope is that doing that will open up your experience of each weekend's Mass. We hope this will be a resource to make the Mass more relevant and engaging for everyone. You know, our Mass borrows much of its structure from the Jewish Passover Seder. The Mass and the Seder each consist of the same two main parts, stories and a meal. We Catholics call the story element our Liturgy of the Word. The meal is our Liturgy of the Eucharist. Over the centuries we've done a pretty good job with the meal. Receiving the Eucharist or simply praying before the Eucharist is dear to us in more ways than most of us are able to put into words. Our Church appropriately calls the Eucharist the source and summit of the Christian life. With the story part, however, our Liturgy of the Word, we could do better. You see, the more fully we engage our sacred scripture, the more we understand the central stories which bring us to the deep truths of our rich faith tradition. The more we understand the liturgy of the Word, the more we will receive in the liturgy of the Eucharist. Have you ever heard someone say or thought to yourself that the Mass is just one long, boring, repetitive ritual? Why bother to go every week or every day? Some people do show up every day. If you want to better understand the value of parish community coming together in whatever way we can for Mass every week, I'd suggest you ask someone who goes to Mass every day. I predict their answers in addition to mentioning their love of the Eucharist will have something to do with actually becoming a more united community, and something to do with learning from the scriptures each day. We have an opportunity now that was denied to millions of Catholics for hundreds of years. Beginning in 1570, following the Church's Council of Trent, Right up until 1970, and the reforms following the Second Vatican Council, virtually every Roman Catholic Mass on Earth was celebrated in Classical Latin. Even the scriptures were read in Latin. For 400 years. It's only been 50 years since the scripture shared at Mass has been read in the language of the people attending the Mass. And in church years, 50 is practically the blink of an eye. So you see, as a worldwide community, we're still getting ourselves used to directly engaging the scriptures in our great public prayer. In the following weeks I'm hoping these recordings will help all of us connect more directly with Sunday Scripture all throughout the year. Our goal is to release a brief background and discussion of the Scriptures for the upcoming Sunday every week on the preceding Wednesday. I'll do my best to stay closer to teaching than preaching and I'll promise you that I will keep this at 30 minutes or less each week, sometimes a lot less. This recording is simply to establish a basic foundation today. It might be information you already know. I don't pretend to offer new, startling insights or fresh, unique scholarship. This is just to give us all a common starting point. And that starting point is the Bible. Our Mass makes use of the readings from both the Old Testament originally written primarily in Hebrew and the New Testament originally written in Classical Greek. Our faith tradition acknowledges the Bible as a divinely inspired library of literature. It's important to understand that our Catholic tradition has not been one of fundamentalism locked into a literal, rigid, unimaginative understanding of the 73 separate books that our Bible contains. It's not a novel intended to be read in a single sitting from cover to cover, starting in Genesis and ending in Revelation. The Bible is not a history book as we understand historical records today. It contains a collection of many types of literary genres and writing styles. Some call the Bible God's letter to us, telling us how to live our lives. But it is so much more complex and so much more beautiful than merely something like that. You see, it also contains An exceptionally rich record of the growth or evolution of our own human understanding of God and God's revelation to us. It is a powerful mosaic of humanity's attempts to recognize and to act in accord with God's loving and generative spirit. I say our Bible intentionally as a reminder that not all good people of faith agree on what belongs in their sacred library. I suspect you're aware that the writings we Roman Catholics call the Old Testament differ from both the Jewish and the Protestant Bibles. Some differences are about what's included. Some are about how the books are arranged or the degree to which they are considered authoritative. What we commonly refer to as the Old Testament consists of the first 46 books of our Bible. It relates a story of creation and of the coming together of the nation of Israel, their beginning to understand themselves as a chosen people, and their history for generations. For us, as Christians, the two testaments of the Bible work together, in that the mystery of the new is foretold as we see it in the old and the new reflects back on to the old as Jesus the Christ brings ancient prophecies to fruition. Typically at Sunday Mass the first reading is taken from the Old Testament and is thematically linked to the Gospel selection of the day. This is a new addition to the Mass with the reforms of the Second Vatican Council. Prior to that, there were only two readings at the Mass, not three, and this first one was not included. During the Easter season, the inclusion of the Old Testament changes for a while, and the first reading comes from the New Testament, from the Acts of the Apostles. The first four books of the New Testament are, of course, the four Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, covering Jesus' earthly life, His healing ministry, His teaching, His death, and resurrection. Of the four Gospels, three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are called the Synoptic Gospels because they are similar to each other in both content and style. Our Church has built from these three synoptic Gospels a three-year cycle of Mass readings. This is new since the reforms of the Vatican Council. Prior to that, there was a one-year cycle. We heard the same Gospels every year, year after year after year. Each cycle, each new liturgical year, begins on the first Sunday of Advent, and during that cycle or year, we read primarily from one of the synoptic evangelists. The Gospel of John, which is the more theologically rich many believe, and is much less chronologically based, this is interspersed in all three cycles, but is most present in the years when we read from Mark. His is the shortest of the Gospels. Each Gospel writer or evangelist is writing to a particular audience in a particular time at a particular place for a particular purpose. Understanding the background, the context, and the audience for each evangelist will enrich our understanding of Christ and of God's promise to bring humanity to the fullness of life. As I record this, we are in year B, the year of Mark's Gospel. The New Testament overall goes like this. We have the following books in the following order. As I said, the first four are the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew has traditionally been placed first because his Gospel was long thought to be the first one written. More recent scholarship has revealed Mark was actually the earliest Gospel. After the Gospels comes the Acts of the Apostles, also written by Luke. It is a true sequel to Luke's Gospel. Then there are 21 letters, or epistles. For those of you listening to this who might be under 50 or so, epistle is just a word meaning a very formal letter. For those of you listening who might be under 35 or so, letter is a term describing the way people used to exchange written words over distances before email or text messaging it actually involved moving paper from one place to another. Can you imagine how primitive? Ask your parents or grandparents if you need some more information about this. It is from these epistles that the second reading at Mass is taken. These epistles cover the growth and the spread of the early Christian communities and some of the many problems they encountered both from outside the community and from among themselves. You see, Controversy has been in the church since there has been a church. Fourteen of the letters have been attributed to St. Paul, although a few were most likely written by followers of Paul after his death. The final work in the New Testament is the Book of Revelation. It is written in a style that was popular in the time of Jesus known as Apocalyptic Literature. In older Bibles, you will find the last book called the Book of the Apocalypse. The word apocalypse means simply revelation. This literary genre, apocalyptic literature, was used in many ways, including as political satire or as an encoded form of public protest against tyrannical governments. Apocalyptic writings claimed to reveal divine mysteries, principally the signs that would signal the end of time. There are examples of this kind of writing in the Old Testament and in many other ancient works that are not included in anybody's Bible. The author of the canonical Book of Revelation is identified in the book itself as John. This John was long thought to be the Apostle John, the son of Zebedee. More recent scholarship places that in serious doubt. The Dominican priest and eminent biblical scholar Wilfred Harrington says, The best we can claim is that the author is an otherwise unknown Christian prophet, likely an itinerant and probably a Palestinian by birth. Having said all that, you should know that its use in the lectionary is rather rare. We're in, as I said, cycle B of our scripture readings, the year of mostly Mark's gospel. Most scholars agree that Mark wrote the earliest gospel sometime between the year 50 and 67. Mark's gospel is the shortest of the four, yet it describes Jesus' earthly ministry in more detail than either Luke or Matthew. It is an action-packed gospel. This Jesus moves quickly from place to place, from mission to mission. Unlike either Matthew or John the Gospel writer, Mark was not one of Jesus' twelve disciples. However, it is widely believed that the young man who was in the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus and his disciples when Jesus was arrested was in fact this Mark. Following Christ's death and resurrection, Mark remained close to the group of disciples who had known Jesus. He would accompany St. Paul and St. Barnabas on their first missionary journey, after which he would return to Jerusalem. As Mark matured, he spent a great deal of time with Peter and accompanied Peter to Rome. So much of Mark's Gospel is believed to be from Peter's perspective. Mark's Gospel was written in Rome and directed to the early Roman Christians who were suffering tremendous persecution from the Emperor Nero. With Rome as the backdrop for Mark as he writes his Gospel, there are very few Jewish references in his Gospel, since Jews had been banished from Rome many years earlier by the Emperor Claudius. It is believed that Mark was directed by Peter to write his Gospel. One strong bit of evidence for that among all the Gospels, Mark's is the most descriptive of Peter's denial of Jesus. This simply suggests that Mark had Peter's first-hand account of his most infamous failure. Unlike Matthew and Luke, there is no infancy narrative nor any stories of Jesus as a youth. Rather, Mark's Gospel begins with John the Baptist announcing the impending appearance of Jesus in ministry. It continues with his baptism in the Jordan. That baptism scene is immediately followed by the story of Jesus facing direct temptations while alone in the desert for 40 days. From there, Mark moves quickly into recounting the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Mark's symbol in Christian heraldry is the winged lion. This image refers to Isaiah who preceded Mark's gospel in speaking of the voice of one crying in the wilderness. This image alludes to a lion that makes the desert echo with its roar. After writing his gospel, Mark was sent to Alexandria in Egypt There he started the second of the three great early communities of followers of Jesus. Those communities were in Rome, Alexandria, and Antioch. Mark is honored as the founder of Christianity on the continent of Africa. Mark was imprisoned in Alexandria by followers of Serapis. Serapis was a sort of Greek and Egyptian fusion god. While Mark was imprisoned, tradition says, the risen Jesus appeared to him and said, Peace be to thee, Mark, my evangelist. Mark was martyred in the year 68 when citizens of Alexandria, who had become enraged over his evangelism, placed a rope around his neck and dragged him through the streets until he was dead. Mark's feast day is celebrated each year on April 25th. It is primarily Mark's work that will guide us on Sundays during the rest of this liturgical year. Now, show up for Mass, in person or online, and may God bless you.